Hey guys, I'm excited today. I have Jillian, who I met on Instagram, and she has a lot of fantastic posts um, about the mystics and science and um, theology and everything like that. And uh, I, I was just really interested, so I thought I'd ask her on the podcast. Um, Jillian, you want to introduce yourself a little bit more? Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Jillian Mason Shannon. And uh, yeah, I encountered Kendall through, um, I have an Instagram called Neotopia, which is um, an, a word I created. It's Neo means new. Topos is place. So it's sort of like a new place. Um, and it's also implied, implied in the name is like a new utopia. Uh, so it's a place to just kind of be free to deconstruct the kind of things that we grew up learning about theology, about God, religion, about the world, and um, take a new look at it through just introducing more rebellious figures and um, philosophy and theology and what they had to say. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in San Antonio, Texas is where I live right now. And, um, just kind of doing, doing the good work. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And how did you, uh, kind of get to, to where you're at and, and, and explore these, these, these people in this type of theology? I have to say, I, um, I grew up with a very healthy, um, religious upbringing. My dad is a pastor in, um, or retired now, but very, a very smart, intellectual, progressive, open-minded, um, uh, pastor. And I don't think a lot of people had the benefit of growing up like that. Most, most people I encounter, Seem more like uh, they're recovering from the trauma of the way they grew up. And, um, but it was kind of the opposite for me. So I've always had a healthy relationship to the, to these studies and I always loved it, wanted to know more, um, saw it sort of like solving a riddle, you know, um, getting into all this text and symbolism and, history, but it took me a really long time to see it as more than just a hobby. I, I lived in New York for 15 years. I was there as being an actress and writer and everything. And, um, I think that for a long time I held on to that, even though it was really sort of life sucking. Um, and because, you know, you don't want to be a quitter. But then I just uh, um, realized this is more than a hobby for me. This is what gives me life. This is my passion. Um, And I just, I went to school for it. I went to Perkins School of Theology in 2020. um, And a lot of the people there, they knew what they wanted to do. They knew they wanted to be a pastor or they wanted to be a chaplain or something like that. I never knew what I wanted to do. I still don't technically. Um, I just was following the passion, mm-hmm. wanted to learn everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I think that um, aspect of curiosity and, and wonder has carried me really far in <laughs> uh, my studies and, and just that, 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 
yeah. uh, energy helps helps so much. And I think it also helps with the fear of change and mm-hmm. you know, changing beliefs and stuff like that. And if you if you can keep curiosity, then it helps you um, push push past that fear and Absolutely. that 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 shame that oh I can't I can't change what the people I grew up with and, and what I was taught, like that's not allowed. Um, so uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You nailed it. Um, I, I was curious what, uh, what denomination did you grow up in? Like, what did your dad? What? Baptist, oh, but wow. not, <laughs> not Southern Baptist. Right. <laughs> um, there's two different kinds of Baptists. Well, oh, many right. different kinds of Baptists, but, um, two main, um, and they couldn't be more different. Um, to the point that a lot of people are questioning if they uh, should even keep the Baptist name. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, we are progressive Baptist. Right. Cooperative okay. Baptist is what it's called. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's even more rare because I live in Lubbock. So, you know, we're both in the same general area. Just oh, okay. the, the Bible belt, you know, is. Yeah. I didn't uh, realize you were in Lubbock. Okay. Right. Right. Cool. So it, it's not, you know, super progressive. So uh, it's yeah. cool to hear that you had that experience. Um, I'm just curious, what, what did you find like soul uh, sucking about being an actress and, and writing and stuff like that? Um, so actually acting and writing is of course not soul sucking. It's, mm-hmm. it's great. But when you're an actor in New York, um, most people, at least I should just speak for myself, don't do a lot of acting. It's more the struggle to try to get some jobs, right. or, you know? And mm-hmm. so the majority of your time is, is not doing Mm. what you enjoy. Mm. Um, and so it's more kind of that make it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. your whole life is that, Mm -hmm. and it's not, it's not very enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, well, I mean, after your, your grad school, um, and now you're starting a bookstore and you're (laughs) putting in all these, these books, right? So, in a way you've you're carrying on what you love and sharing that with others. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so today, uh, specifically, uh, wanted to focus on, um, Tehardi de Chardin. Um, and you got it. <laughs> I, yeah, thanks. Yeah. She, she helped me, uh, figure out the pronunciation before, <laughs> uh, unusual name. But yeah. yeah, I think I just saw him kept popping up his quotes and stuff like that. And then you shared some stuff about him. And I was like, man, I, I really like this guy and, and I, I need to read his books. I haven't read it yet, but that's what, that's what you're here for to yeah. kind of share about him. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so Pierre, Teilhard Desjardins, he's a French um, paleontologist he died in the 1950s um, on Easter Sunday. Um, and he was such an interesting guy, way ahead of his time in a lot of ways, which we'll discuss. Um, but yeah, he was a paleontologist and a Jesuit priest. So he was a, a theologian and a scientist. Uh, and the Catholic Church uh, banned his writings. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to look to the people who were banned personally, because usually they were on to something. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like you were saying, most people are so afraid of change, but what is it that they were uh, curious about that, Mm -hmm. that everyone was so afraid of? 
So he was interesting because he was fascinated with matter, literally rocks. He was a geologist and then and a paleontologist, and but he never rejected his Christian faith, his spirituality. He was trying to merge the two and find the spiritual in the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, okay, so I, I also really love this author, Brian Thomas Swim. He's first a cosmologist and mathematician, but he's written some really great books and he was influenced by Teilhard de Chardin. He never mentions God or religion or anything like that in his books, but he writes about science in such a romantic way. Mm, right. The spirit. Yes. It's beautiful. And he has a really great illustration in his book called journey of the universe. And he's talking about kind of the early humans Mm-hmm. And his illustration is, say you have a gazelle and you have a human being and there's a huge forest fire. What are their reactions? The gazelle instinctually, their animal instinct, they're going to run. It's survival. The human is also going to run, but there might be a moment there where they stop and they stare with curiosity and with wonder And that little percent moment difference between the human and the animal is the thing that sets us apart. So we have this sense of wonderment and reflection and curiosity and wonder allows for the capability to have compassion and empathy not just for our loved ones. I mean, an animal would have that for, you know, their offspring instinctually. We are even capable of having it for our enemies. So that little piece of reflection is the thing that sets us apart. It's the thing that makes us human. And I think that whatever sets us apart is our role. So if that's what sets us apart, then that is our role. And according to Tehard, that's exactly what makes us unique. Tehard has this quote that humanity is evolution become conscious of itself because we are, we're both a product of evolution and we're able to step outside of it, stand outside of it and reflect on it and reflect on the world, study it, analyze it. And even control its destiny. Mm. So with this ability to reflect, we can actually speed up the evolutionary process toward what Tehard calls the noosphere and the omega point. Now I'll obviously get into those. Right. Um, yeah. I just want to say real quick, I, I never connected curiosity with empathy and, but, but that makes sense. It, it's yeah. to, you have to, like we just said, get past that fear and mm-hmm. all that resistance we have to people that are different for us or people that, you know, are opposed to us. And what, what could their perspective be like? What could their life be like? How could we step into their shoes and um, precisely yeah, have empathy, empathy and that, that takes curiosity. So that that's, that's fascinating. That's, 
I love that. Yeah. And so I thought it was also interesting that you said before, like that curiosity is the main thing that's needed in order to get past our fear of change. And this whole um, field of study is about curiosity. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're talking about evolution. That That's probably one of the main reasons why the Catholic church uh, banned his, his books. Is, is that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah absolutely. People are very afraid of evolution. Um, they think of Darwin and, or actually they think of neo-Darwinism. I would say that Darwin has sort of been taken out of, uh, what he was really saying and become what he was represented as anyway. Um, but they're afraid of evolution as if it's counter to religion. Right. But what Teilhard was actually doing was making it very compatible with religion. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about evolution of consciousness and taking just sort of a, a panoramic view of the world to say, all right, it started with cosmogenesis and then biogenesis, or, or I would say um, the biosphere which is the origin of life. Mm -hmm. And then we move into the Noah sphere, N-O-O sphere. And that is the sphere that sort of envelops the universe. And it's the sphere of, of knowing of consciousness, uh, the thinking sphere Mm -hmm. of the world. And he was saying that we are all in a process of moving toward what he called the Omega point, which is the maximum level of consciousness. Uh, the, to the point of unity with God, mm. that's the Omega point. Mm-hmm. That's where the mystic comes in. <laughs> that's that's the mystic where the mysticism, that's where the mysticism comes in. So it's interesting because you're talking science, And, but in order to have the correct sort of lens on science, it requires, it requires a mysticism. Uh, the, the way to, to, to be able to have this capacity to see the world, both scientifically and, and spiritually is through the mystics, because the mystics are not afraid of change. Mm-hmm. They actually see the world constantly in flux rather than just static and fixed. And um, yeah, the way the the way is definitely through the mystics. Yeah, and I think it's that um, they were seeking an experience of God and with God and that oneness. And I think in those experiences, it it creates change in itself and it helps us see the world in. Uh, a new way or, or a bigger way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, going back to science, the, the way we have scientific discoveries and everything like that is that curiosity of that moments of intuition, of inspiration of what, what about this uh, hypothesis and let's, let's test this. And then, and then we discover it. So, you know, exactly. it, first, for the first thing in science is that curiosity and that thinking outside the box to discover something new and then going through the scientific process. Exactly. Yes. 
science is a lot about taking a leap of faith, saying something that may sound crazy and then, and then trying to prove it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, and going back to the evolution, um, one thing I've always thought about is, you know, I think why, um, some people are scared of Darwin and, and, and is kind of this survival of the fittest and that's what evolution is. But to me, I'm like, well, that's like the basic level, the, the survival level, but the, the, the more evolved you get, the more conscious you get, then you realize mm-hmm. survival is survival together, survival of everyone together. That's sort of unity and oneness. And so it becomes self-focus into all focus. Ah, nice. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a good actually segue into understanding. Well, first of all, one of the things that we as humans did is we, we had the development of symbolic language. Mm. And so that's the, the creation of arts and culture in order to communicate our experiences Mm -hmm. and to help things evolve. And to the point where our experiences and our learnings outlive us. This is why culture is so important to pay attention to. And it makes it more of a communal thing where we're sharing our experiences. It's not survival of the fittest. It's, Mm -hmm. it's how can we all do this together um, Mm -hmm. and evolve as a world. Mm -hmm. And Tehard the noosphere is like I said, the thinking sphere of the world. And it's about global consciousness Mm -hmm. and okay. So (laughs) I'm like, should I get into this? Um, (laughs) Definitely get into it. Okay. Okay. So another person that I admire, Elia Delio, she's often talking about the axial periods And I find this so fascinating. So prior to, I want to say 800 BC, something like that, um, we were in pre-axial consciousness and everyone was more tribal Mm -hmm. and symbolic and mythic. Okay. I have to break it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Have you heard of spiral dynamics? I've heard of it, but you're going to okay. have to explain it to me. It's not a big deal. You're, you're basically, you, I'm sure you just have different languages, different people saying different stuff, but, or it's saying really? the same thing and different. Yeah. But it's just levels of consciousness, stages of consciousness and it's individual, but it's also collective. So yeah, it, it's all the same thing. I actually, I've been meaning to do an episode on spiral dynamics, but I haven't gotten to it yet, but. Okay. But well, yeah, I would the, like to listen kind of to is it. How my brain goes to, but. You're saying the same thing, so keep keep going. Really? You're doing wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh-huh. Well, I'm going to have to listen to your episode on spiral dynamics because if, I don't know if it was you or someone else um, messaged me that and said it's like spiral dynamics, and I just have oh. not. I don't know. I haven't been uh-huh. introduced. It to might it. have been me. I have to look. It might have been you. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, keep, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> okay, so that was the consciousness. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was tribal, mythic, ritualistic. And then there was a universal shift in consciousness. It was happening all over the world with the prophets in Israel and the and 
Buddha and Confucius and uh, Socrates in the, in Greece. These are all different parts of the world, and they're all sort of doing the same thing mm-hmm. between. I think it's eight hundred and four hundred. Uh, no, I'm sorry, two hundred BC, and then came along Jesus. So, what's the shift? The shift is moving from this tribal consciousness to the realization of being an individual Mm. and the freedom of being an individual. And we're still sort of riding on the, our religion in that sense. Religion has become very personal with God, very individual Mm. salvation, you know, um, and we're only now right now, experiencing the second axial period and it's the shift into global consciousness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and collective thought and that's due to the the internet right um Mm -hmm. and telephone internet all all those things that connect us more correct yeah so we're Uh, able to see yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was I was just wondering, um, why? Do you know why or how do we shift into these new stages? And also, how uh, th- this this spreads uh, or not spreads? How it evolves in the same time at the same time mm-hmm. between different cultures who, you know, back then didn't necessarily know each other. So, how does this? Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's why it's so fascinating. It's like, why is this happening? Because they didn't have the internet. Right. They didn't have um, the ability to learn from each other, mm-hmm. you know, overseas. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't know. I just think of it like entanglement. Like there's some sort oh, of there you go. quantum. That's the only thing I can. Really that's think the of. answer. That's the answer. <laughs> yeah. We live in this web of connectivity mm-hmm. and that's why it, I guess it just yeah. sort of, yeah, there, there's also, I forget what it's called, but where someone discovers something uh, and then it's discovered somewhere else and then discovered uh, like a lot of times uh, mm-hmm. elsewhere and they're like, Oh yeah, they already discovered it. And, but it's all happening at once. And then also same thing with sports, like setting a new time record. And it's like, no one could, you could think they would break this record, but then, one person breaks it and then five people break it like the next week. It's just huh. this phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something to do with um, this, this web of this entanglement that you're talking right. about. Yeah. Everything is connected. Right. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. Fascinating. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I said something just a little bit ago, collective thought. And I thought it would be important to clarify what I, what I mean by that. Um, Cause I'm also very into this Simone Weil mm-hmm. and she is anti-collective thought. Mm. And so when I say like Tehard is sort of, it sounds pro collective thought, right. we should clarify that it's not, brainwashing it's not right, we right, all right. just think the same thing mm-hmm. rather it's um, hive mind yeah it's what you say hive mind right it's not yeah it's not hive mind it's like um 
moving, moving it forward, mm-hmm. being globally aware of what's going on. Like for instance, I, because of social media, we are probably the most ethically conscious generation that there ever was. We are aware of how our choices here affect people in China and we're just more globally aware. But what you do is rather than just copy each other and keep repeating slogans, you move it a step forward. It's still thinking for yourself, but it's with the goal of continually evolving. Right. And I mean, we're, we're still struggling with that. We are. <laughs> I think, I think we're, it's like we have, there's a, always an adjustment period. And so now we have this global um, feel and understanding, but how can we do this healthily? Cause it, it, it's very hard for our brains to comprehend and, and, uses information in a healthy way. And so I think we're, we're in the process of learning that. Yeah. We're in the dark space. We're, we're, (laughs) yeah, it's happening so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, people often say like Tayhard was too optimistic, Mm -hmm. but I think that ultimately the internet and social media is going to evolve us in a positive way it already is Mm -hmm. but it's definitely you know everything has growing pains well well, i've said a couple times um i'm really into carl jung and that we're we're unearthing our shadow of what what collectively globally is is going wrong and obviously that looks really dark but Mm. it's better that we expose it so that we can deal with it rather than it staying in the dark Absolutely. Is it, is it Carl Jung that says essentially there's a dark and a light to everything. And I don't know if he says those words, but I feel like he probably, yeah. His shadow self is very similar to Thomas Merton and talking about our false self. Yeah. 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 Carl Jung is kind of a mystic. I would say. Yeah. Oh, I I totally agree. Yeah. I keep getting you off track. Keep, keep going. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Um, I don't even know uh, where we are. The the collective and, and the collective thought. Yeah. Um, it, it reminds me of when I first got into um, grad school, I, my first year, I learned a very valuable lesson. I, and it, I had a teacher who was very challenging and um, now I'm super thankful, but he was teaching me the difference between making an assertion and making an argument. Hmm. And I think that I, you know, you see on social media, we're all sort of resharing great points, you know, and it's hive mind. We're all, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, we're just repeating slogans all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, when you're writing, for instance, like a scholarly paper, you can't just make emotional assertions Mm -hmm. that sound good. You have to make an argument and to make an argument, you take what, uh, you know, this theologian said, or this person in the past, you know, you're not just independently thinking either you're taking it and you are then taking it one step further. You don't just come up with this great new idea you just move the conversation an inch. And I think that that's, for me, that was a valuable lesson learned in 
writing a scholarly paper, but it also applies to the difference between collective thought and as brainwashing and collective thought as evolving the conversation. And that's more what Tehard was talking about when he says global consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, to go back to something we touched on before, uh, before we started recording, um, are you a fan of Pete Enns? Of who? Pete Enns. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His latest book, Curveball, and I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but is talking about um, kind of phenomenology and narrative experiences and quantum, and, and just that we need to take into account uh, where we are in different fields besides theology and how does that impact our theology. And, and I think that to be, if we're honest with ourselves, everything around us is affecting our theology is infecting how we interpret theology and our subjective lenses. And so, you know, I I think it's good people like, Hey, we need to examine the Bible and the times uh, that they were living in and how they saw it because we're interpreting Mm -hmm. it through our modern lens, which may not be how they're interpreting it. So that helps us, but we need to continue that on. And how does what we've discovered and what we're learning, how is that affecting us today? And that's what Teilhard was all about, right? Using science and different, and he was in so many different fields and how, how, how does that affect our theology and our understanding? Yeah. What, what's Pete, what's, what's, what's Pete's book called? Uh, Curveball. Curveball. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. It's, um, not only does everything affect our theology, but our theology affects everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Our theology affects our ethics. You know, how we see God really translates to how we see ourselves and act in the world. If we see God as this um, domineering, controlling uh, puppet master, we might act that way toward others. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we see God not through, you know, power but through presence and we might act more as a caring presence (laughs) towards Mm -hmm. others you know what i mean right yes that's a good point um so you talk about the omega point um Mm -hmm. how where did he get that i guess is the question i have where did he get that yeah where where did that kind of come from i don't know i i Mm -hmm. i think he uh created the term and he, okay. So when I posted about this, someone responded to me, why does the Omega point have to be, have to be Christ? So Christ is the Omega point for Tehard, but he is trying to redefine Christ or yeah. Redefine Christ Mm -hmm. to where it's not, just Jesus while Christ was fully united. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me, let me, like let me back up. Yeah. Yeah. Christ as full unity with God. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always, we tend to only relate Christ with Jesus, this man, Jesus mm-hmm. at this moment in time, as if Christ was his last name. 
you know, but Christ is more than Jesus. In Jesus, we saw a um, evolutionary leap in consciousness, perhaps, because we saw Christ being so united in the human person. Um, but we can't stop there. We can't just say it happened in that moment, in that fixed, static moment in yeah. history. Christ is also, according to Tehard, not just human and divine in that person, but also cosmic. So, also still alive, still still going, and we have to redefine what Christ is. And if Christ is the ultimate maximum level of consciousness and the consciousness being that we belong to a whole and rather than um, just separate entities, like let's say we all tend to identify with our secondary identifications. I'm, I'm uh, white. I'm a female. I'm part of, I'm a Shannon or I'm a Mason, you know, um, whatever my political ideology is. So, but th- those are all secondary. There are fine identifications, but they're secondary. So, um, he's saying that this maximum level of consciousness is aware of belonging to a whole of belonging in this entangled universe. Mm-hmm. So we saw it very clearly with, the man Jesus, but he's saying that the Omega point is larger and it is something that we can all reach Mm -hmm. that evolution is headed toward, Mm -hmm. toward that incarnation is not just this moment in time, but it is something possible for the whole cosmos. Does that help? No, that's really good. I mean, I think it really takes me, to the universal Christ by roar and, and how yeah. the word was in the beginning and it was sent out to all creation. And Jesus represented that and showed us, he reminded us of that. Um, but yeah, I, I always think that, you know, we can debate and try to figure out what, what exactly atonement meant. But I, I can say without a doubt that it uh, helped people psychologically, um, get to a place of having a personal relationship with God and um, no, no longer needing to have blood sacrifices. And so um, yeah, that was definitely an advancement. Uh, and and uh-huh. kind of like you're saying that individual relationship um, with God. And I, I, I was think I think uh, Tehard was connecting uh, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus talking about bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth, mm-hmm. connecting that with the evolutionary process that, um, we are in this evolutionary process of growth. And, and like we said, each stage, there's, um, there's going to be an adjustment period and, uh-huh. and there's always going to be problems where we have to figure that out. So uh-huh. a lot of people are like, you know, just cause it's new, you know, we're actually going backwards. And it's like, I think, I think obviously a lot of problems arise and not everything is just, just good. It's not a straight line, but, Right. I think it is evolving towards a better place and that we are ushering in the kingdom of heaven on earth and um, learning what this Christ consciousness, how to live into that, into the fullness of, of humanity. And that goes into what we were saying about like 
sports or sciences and, and the discoveries are making, what is possible for us? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm with Tehard on the optimism. I, I think it's headed in, always headed in a uh, positive. You know, change is good. Mm-hmm. Not something yeah. to be afraid of. Yeah. Right. Did you, uh, do you have more points that you wanted to go to? Um, well, along, along those lines, there was one more thing that I, I love about, about Tehard. Um, he talks about groping, mm-hmm. uh, and this groping process. If you're looking at the biological or the biosphere, he's saying, he says that, um, elements, if you have two elements that are separate, they're always in a sense, miraculously coming together. Um, for instance, the, back with the first living cell, there were two detached elements, which did miraculously come together to form the first living cell. And that is because of this characteristic in all living things to kind of reach outside itself to kind of grope is the word he uses um, in order to bond with other things to persist in life. So life by its nature prefers more life. Mm. And that's why I think we can have this optimistic view that ultimately life prefers more life. Right. And down, you know, down to the nature of things. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't think it's in the nature to um, prefer destruction. Right. Life is always going to keep trying to persist in more life. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I would add a, a little nuance. I, I, I believe in that. I think there, there is times for, um, death, you could say, uh, yeah. or, or, you know, burning off the old and bringing in new, just like sometimes, uh, forests will, they'll have natural, uh, burning, uh, forest fires. And that, uh, if, if the forest gets too over cluttered, um, then that actually helps it. Um, trees have space to breathe and that can mm. in the end, create a larger forest. Um, Absolutely. and then, uh, yeah, I think that like Jesus on the cross and, and resurrection, or like you could say like the moth into a butterfly. There's this, all these metamorphoses, or like Phoenix is a a symbol of that. You know, um, there there are, and Paul says, you know, take up your cross daily, die daily. Yeah, um, but then live in Christ. And so, um, like you said, the, the 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 universe is always changing, and changing requires. Um, some some death, but not death isn't like that's the end. It's a uh, yeah. reshaping, a uh, reforming, a uh, uh, growth uh, in the in the long run. And even you know, like scientifically, you know, like energy is neither created nor destroyed. So <clears throat> even though you know we we may die, like our energy is still in the universe and it still um, takes on new forms. Uh, so it, it's kind of, and we see that with seasons as well. So I just exactly. see all these examples, and, and it's it's really really beautiful yeah yeah hey you are so right on (laughs) i mean is death gonna be is death the enemy of life what how or is it a part of life a necessary part of of life in order to have more life right yeah Mm -hmm. beautiful you know your stuff 
<laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I put a few quotes. I'm trying to trying to think here. Okay. One of the quotes he said that creation would not be complete until each person participated being is totally united with God through Christ in the aroma. I don't know what that word means. When God will be all in all. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you think about that? I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Um, creation. Can you say it again? Yes. Uh, creation would not be complete until each participated being is totally united with God through Christ in the plural. Okay. Yeah. I think that God will be all in all. Okay. Yeah. I think that that speaks to the Omega point, um, where the Omega point is essentially God fully realized in all of us. Um, so not only in Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, mm-hmm. um, but in all of us and in the whole, whole of creation. So creation's not finished. We tend to think that God created the world and, uh, and here we are. And now we're all just destroying it. And, you know, we're these, for Jesus to come back and just, or waiting. Exactly. Exactly. But rather it's still being created. It's still evolving and it's not finished. Do you uh, have any hypothesis on what, what, what that might look like? <laughs> and what that might look like? Um, um, let's see. Well, for one thing, like you mentioned Christ coming back and I always find that to be such an interesting a thing that people say that that Christ will return mm-hmm. because on the other hand I thought I thought Christ was still present where did Christ go I, I thought that um, that's what the spirit is mm-hmm. and maybe the return is us the return mm-hmm. is the spirit in us and so mm-hmm. um it's when we ultimately use our participation with God for um, the betterment of the world. What it, What is it going to look like? No idea. Right. <laughs> um, a really, really tough question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you know uh, from from going to theology school that I, I think evangelicals uh, know one. Um, I forgot what the word is for for end times theology um but but they have one one uh one belief of what that is but there's actually like i don't know five or six different different ones and then obviously within those there's varying different beliefs on what that what that means so it's it's not it's never been set like christians we know what the end times is and what this means and we're all agreed upon this one uh theory yeah you're saying that um, uh, evangelistic Christians have this sort of apocalyptic worldview, right? Right. And um, yeah, no, it's definitely not not agreed upon. Um, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's that's all great. I uh, actually, I was wondering. Uh, there's a couple of uh, sci-fi books uh, okay. I read, and they talk about oneness, but 
But uh, one of them is um, Ender's Game. I don't know if you've heard of that. What's it called? Ender's Game. No. Okay. Well, spoilers here. He encounters an alien race, but basically they are like kind of bees and they are this, this hive mind. And so there's one is, but they're all um, under the queen bee, right? And they're doing what she wants and, and, and they're, they don't have any mind of their own. And so that's kind of one view. And we, we do, we do touch on that. Um, another sci-fi series is called the expanse and um, people encounter uh, kind of an alien race has passed on, but they have their technology is still there. And so they kind of activate it and then they all gain this telepathy between each other, but they're okay. not used to it. And so basically it's kind of like schizophrenia. It's like, Oh, I'm hearing what they're hearing and, and what this other person's and it's just driving me mad. And it's kind of crazy. Hmm. It's it, it just interesting for me. Um, and, you know, the mystics talk about the, this oneness with God and, and, and how we're to have, you know, the mind, the mind of God and Christ and, and um, hear him and, and then live, live through that. Um, and so it's just interesting, these different points of view. And, and I kind of also think about this and I've talked about my podcast, like mental health. And um, yeah. I think Young's quote is, I think it's young is like the, the mystic swims in the ocean, the, the schizophrenic drowns. Or something. And so it's like, Oh, wow. I think it goes into consciousness and, and um, how we have to be healthy and, and be at a certain place to kind of handle more of this um, oneness and this co- connection with the spiritual world, or we'll kind of be in this, um, psychosis or or just drown in it. Um, but Hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just really, really interesting to me. And so I think we're on the path of, of, of gaining that understanding that connection to the spiritual and some people will have it and some people will have it more than others, but, uh, it's a process we have to grow into. And I don't know. That's just thoughts that I have. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, I have heard, you know, we're in such a weird time right now with AI and mm-hmm. um, chat GPT and right. it, and it can get really scary and it's easy. I think it's easier to, to use, um, to be afraid of it. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And to say, Oh, we're just going toward, you know, I'm scared for the next generation and mm-hmm. you know, everything's going downhill. Um, but I heard a very, positive outlook on that for instance so okay if if kids are able to use ai and use this technology to their advantage um and what what space does that open up Mm. could it be that schools are have more room to care for people's mental health can we maybe uh, can we maybe evolve in the mental health arena if we are less worried about uh, what am I trying to say? So if we're not talking yeah. about like uh, AI uh, being able to do some basic jobs, and so yeah, uh, or that creates or, more opportunity for 
Good. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, you're right. It's specifically for schooling, mm. though. So the automatic fear is, oh, well, you're not going to be able to write your own paper. You're not going to learn anything. And, or you're going to be able to use AI to calculate that for you instead mm. of using your brain. Mm-hmm. Well, what if we use that as a leap in learning and left cleared up more space to focus on our mental health? Right. Okay. I see. I think I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there, there is that uh, danger of uh, losing creativity, but I think if we use it the right way. It can spur on our creativity to new heights. And um, like you said, more time to focus more on mental emotional health rather than like, I think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the basic needs and all this stuff and the AI yeah. sort of um, take on that role of, of these things. So we could focus on the higher, higher level self transcendence and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. What was that young quote that you said about the mystic? Uh, something, I think it's something like the mystic swims in the ocean that this schizophrenic drowns. I'm trying to understand that. I think, like, <laughs> I, 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 I would say that, um, I, I believe that, um, say like a schizophrenic, like there may be some voices they're hearing that it is, is, is their own, but they may be hearing sp- spirits or something. Uh, and maybe because they're in such a low place, they might be hearing demonic voices. Um, but, um, there's there's spiritual people like oh I hear angels or I hear from God or different stuff like that and um, so it's just about being healthy and whole and connecting with the positive and loving voices. I see. Okay. Yeah. So a mystic for a mystic, it's freeing, liberating, right? Um, to kind of swim in that ocean and discern the voices where to, it's- you have to be strong enough in your ego and yourself. Uh huh. Be uh, kind of in that like hive mind, be taken over. Ah, got it. Got it. That's a great quote. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, uh, oh yeah, I think AI also raises up questions um, again about what is consciousness and what is unique yes. and special about humans. And yeah. I think. We talked about the meaning is that creativity and that um, curiosity and um, creation and, and and AI may might help us um, highlight once again our unique capabilities and us focus more on that rather than just pure utility or survival or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, great. I didn't make that link either. Um, so if, if what makes us human different from animals, then it's also what makes us unique, different from robots. Right. This Mm -hmm. element of wonder, reflection, curiosity, empathy, compassion. Um, Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I wonder if we could, yeah, even delve deeper into that. I I have, that's another episode I plan to have with someone who, is more knowledgeable than me about AI and all the, the facets. Uh, it's really something that is hard to keep up with because it, it's constantly yeah. evolving and in more ways we're using it. 
rapidly faster than we are able to evolve. Right. Which is part of the fear, you know, it's like, yes, yes, exactly. So, so I think it is important to, to talk about these things and think about these things. Um, and, and also it's like a AI to me, it's, it's, you, you have to have it in the right hands to use it in a way that it, that is helpful rather than just like yes. more capitalism or just gaining wealth. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or just replacing. Right. Else. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was, you know, going back to your, your name, uh, Neo, how do you say that? What was that? Neotopia? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really interested, you know, I always love fiction reading of dystopian and utopian literature. Um, and I, you know, we're talking about this evolution of consciousness, this global oneness, and I think it's amazing, but, you know, I think there's always a danger of, uh, there's a danger in being too negative about the world, but there's also a danger of being too positive and and naive, you could say. Yes. Oh, everybody being connected and, and collective. And, um, we can see like, communism and 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 how people have these high ideals but um not taking into consideration how we also have the potential for harm and uh, yes. corruption uh then, then it can all go awry so is that um balance of the utopian dystopian um yeah outlook yeah yeah well there's no doubt. I mean, when I, when I said earlier that, um, okay, what makes us unique, what, what our role is, is now we have a responsibility. We're able to control the destiny of evolution and it is scary. Like we, we can't be all optimistic about this because look at, look at climate change, look at the earth, look at the horrible, <laughs> um, things we've done to this planet. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it goes back to the, you know, the dystopian, the utopian, the, the element there is our, our participation in this um, and understanding that if you believe in God, um, we are in cooperation with God. Mm-hmm. So our participation is, um, vital. I, uh, you and I spoke about for briefly about East of Eden, didn't we? Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, East of Eden is really what got me, uh, deciding to go to school for this because there is a moment in that book where, do you remember the servant Lee and he's speaking to, oh, it's been so long since I read it, but, uh, two of the guys, mm-hmm. um, And they are obsessing over this uh, moment in scripture. It's Cain and Abel's story. And they're studying it and just trying to crack the code. And Lee says he finally figured it out. And the word that they were trying to decipher is the word timshel in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, well, this this is the difference. We, you know, some translations have it. At, translated as thou shall which means you will do this um 
as in God saying, you will triumph over evil. It's predestined. And then other translations translate Timshel as thou must, which is basically God's relationship to the human saying, you must, it's legalistic. You, you will or else, or else, you know? Right. Right. And Lee very excitedly says he realizes that the translation of the word is actually thou mayest, mm. which means you may triumph over evil. You may not. I am not predestining this. I am not ordering you or else punishing you. And so it's the freedom of choice. And it's saying you know, it's like the Spider-Man with great freedom comes great responsibility. So it's, it, it changes everything. He says that Steinbeck says that may be the most important word in the world because we actually have a choice in life. We're not being puppeteered. We're not being um, punished or demanded we're actually, we have a choice. And so it all goes back, this new utopia, it all goes back to our human participation with God. And we are co-agents along with nature in this world with God. And um, we have the ability to um, prevent suffering. We have the ability to cause suffering. Mm -hmm. And so that's why our level of consciousness and discernment with God becomes so vital because we are not um, being just controlled or um, ordered to do a certain thing, but we are in this participation and cooperation with God. And so thou mayest yeah. or thou mayest not. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. Yeah, really highlighting the, the free will. Um, I don't know if you know who a uh, naked pastor is on I think I've heard of that. Is yeah. that a uh, he, he funny? Does, he does like little cartoons, um, but they have like a theological point. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could look up his name and, and see why he, he's called that, but it's, it's kind of like about authenticity and being real and not just like naked <laughs> in that. Sense. I think I have heard um, of him. Yeah. But he, he had, he had a, uh, something about like, be like Jesus and Jesus like, be like yourself. And so, so it's like, the most we can be like Jesus is is being being ourselves, and so what what I'm saying about that is that um, I think God calls us to be. That's my podcast is called "Becoming Who We Are" and learning mm. who that is, and, and and we all are a part of that body. And we're a unique body part, and we offer something unique, um, mm. special. And so um, I think some people, you know, think. God, you know, like that, that, like you said, is, is that it's controlling and, um, you know, is that like hive mind, but, it, but it's not, it's, uh, co co-creation co Absolutely. So yes. That the mystics all about that one is with God, but they were still fully themselves and offering their unique gifts and perspectives and um, abilities uh, for being in the kingdom of heaven on earth. Well, what's that which sets us apart is our role, right? So that whatever it is that makes us unique is our probably our role in life, in this um, evolution of life. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And um, 
something I, uh, I, be, I talked to someone and, and it, we talked about the mystics and she's also like, uh, there's a the social justice aspect and that's something I haven't got as much into, but I think that's very important. And I, I see that you have books on that stuff as well. Um, and we talked about like the need for balance between the, you could say the, the conservatives, the progressives and the mystics, you know, um, uh-huh. is that, uh, not, um, just abandoning tradition, uh, and abandoning history and what it's taught us. So we don't repeat the same mistakes again. And uh-huh. also I think, you know, you can say like non-denominational churches, they're like, we're doing our own thing, but they're still falling into the same mistakes or same beliefs as is the past. And so it's better to acknowledge and learn from that than just try to erase it and ignore it. Erase it. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, also too, I think that, um, uh, some like mystics, um, what I really appreciate about Tay Hart is that he was also practical and connecting the science with the mystical. And, um, you know, I think some people's, uh, may need to go to a cave and meditate or whatever. And I think that by their love, they're, they're still helping the world, but, um, for to participate in the, in the world and community and, um, yeah. that, um, social justice, stuff like that. But, um, I do see some people, I think like that maybe too skewed that way or are like the humanists. I think the trap they can fall into is having such an idealized view of humanity and, what we should be that they get very militaristic and angry when we fail and whatever. It's like, no, the mystics know we, we have, we have that hope that's beyond the physical, beyond where we're at right now. And that is helping us. And so um, that gives us peace and joy through, through all the trials and, um, that it is a evolutionary process. And so it's not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and there's a misconception about mystics. I think that or mystics or spiritual, that it's very individualistic or something mm-hmm. when in fact, it's really the opposite. Um, a true mystic should be pushed into community and, uh, relationship like Thomas Merton he's one of the most famous mystics and he was also a, an extreme social justice advocate um, and, be, and and he said that he saw within each person a diamond I think he said a diamond like a, a diamond within each person that was their true self and he realized oh my gosh in that moment we are all united and connected and so when you kind of maybe the true mystic sees beyond the superficial and sees beyond the things that separate us and beyond all the things that can make us angry and um, all our differences and sees that we have the potential for wholeness and unity and progress Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else. Do you, do you have any uh, last words or thoughts? Not really, but this has been super fun. And I love talking to someone that is, um, you just are so 
well-educated yourself and you just get it. And it's been a, a joyful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. I, I also really enjoyed you and um, all the wisdom you shared and when you have to say, uh, it's really a pleasure. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. Thank <laughs> you.